How's everyone doing tonight? He didn't do anything wrong. He just always loves me. I am a blessed woman. So how's everyone doing tonight? Lovely weather we're having. That's a faith statement. <laughs> it was lovely a couple of days. Now we're back in faith. and <laughs> it'll get lovely again. So I'm just excited. I've got a word of burning in my heart to share with you tonight. It's called um, Walk, Work, Watch. Say that five times real quick. Um, but it's kind of a prep or a prep sermon for what's to come. After these three DVD sessions, I'm going to be starting a series called Walk, Watch. Walk, work, watch. And uh, it's the subtitle will be Jesus, Our Example. So we're just going to spend some time looking at Jesus. Is that okay with everyone? So let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for tonight, for this time we have to gather together in your presence around your word. And I just pray that you would just open your word to all of us. Use my mouth. Father, use my words to minister life and hope and grace to everyone who hears. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I have been reading and reading and reading again in Matthew chapter 11. This year has been, it seems like, the busiest year of all time. Anybody experiencing the busiest year of your life this year? And every year I can't think it, I don't think it can get any busier. And every year it seems to just get busier and busier and busier. And um, so I, I kind of have been seeking the Lord this year for a break <laughs> and some breakthrough. And it seems like every time I, I get in his face and just really seek him for an answer on when this breakthrough of time is going to come, he just kind of says, you know, my grace is sufficient. You can do all things. You know, you got this girl. You can do it. I'm not taking anything off you. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let me learn how to tap into this grace. And we talked about that a, a couple months ago here on a Sunday morning. But I have been really, really reading this, this verse. And I want to read it to you out of a few different translations. It's in Matthew 11, verse 27. It says, My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. No one truly knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Say rest. rest. Oh. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And I want to read it to you out of a couple other translations. One of them is the voice. If you haven't heard of that translation, it's a really cool uh, contemporary translation to read from. It's kind of like a conversation. But verse 27 says, The Father has handed everything over to my care. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son wishes to reveal the Father. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Put my yoke upon your shoulders. It might appear heavy at first, but it is perfectly fitted to your curves. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. When you are yoked to me, 
Your weary souls will find rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is one of the words I've been really focusing on this year is rest. And I want to take just a a few minutes and kind of go down some of the the specifics of this verse just real quick. And then we're going to look at it in the message translation and delve just a little bit deeper. But it starts out with three words, come to me. And that's kind of putting first things first. Are you tired? Are you weary? All right, first things first. Step away from what you're doing and come to me. It's not a forced thing, but it's a choice. You don't have to, but you can. You can continue to carry your heavy burden. You can continue to be weary if you want to, but there's a choice here. You can choose to carry it or you can choose come to me. And I love that because there's a difference between choosing something and having something forced upon you, right? My son Mitchell and my daughter Allie are in a play. It opens Friday night. It's a musical over at Kent Summerstock. My daughter wanted to be in it with all of her heart. My son is doing it just as an act of obedience because I am making him. Because it's my friend who's directing it, and she was desperate for one more guard. And even tonight we were driving there. I go, Bud, what's wrong? You look a little down. He goes, Mom, do I really have to do this? So God bless him. There's some kind of reward in there for him. I'm going to find something really cool to do for him. But there's a different attitude that comes with it. There's a different, you know, presence about it. My daughter is excited and skips around and practices her song and can't wait to get there. And my son's like, here we go. So there's a difference when you choose, come to me. So we're choosing him. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. And I, I did some studying on this phrase, and it's actually a rabbinical phrase. The rabbis would use it, and they had a yoke. And when, whenever the rabbis referred to their yoke, it was referring to their teachings. It was referring to their theology, the way that they did things. And when they said, you come and take my yoke on you, what they meant was, you come and be my protege. You come and be my apprentice. You come and be with me 24-7 and watch me and learn how I do things. And even Paul said, you know, that he learned of Gamaliel. He was a protege to someone. He took his yoke on him. It was his teachings. And so when Jesus says, you take my yoke upon you, that means you take my teachings on you. You you take my way of doing things on you. You submit to my authority in your life. So this is also an act of choice because he says you have to take it. He's not going to just come put it on you. You have to make a decision. I'm going to come take your yoke. Now, a yoke was also giving a picture of oxen in the field because they would yoke two oxen together. And a lot of times when they had a young, inexperienced oxen, they would yoke it with a more mature, experienced oxen. And the experienced one would then teach the inexperienced one basically how to do it because they were yoked together. And it also kind of carried some of that load for the inexperienced one until it got used to it because they were carrying and walking in that same yoke. So when we take his yoke, 
We're coming alongside with him to watch how he does things. And he says, then let me teach you. Let me teach you. Because I'm meek and I'm humble at heart. Again, it's an act of our will. Are you seeing it? You have to choose to come to me. You have to choose to take my yoke. You have to let me teach you. Because I'm meek and humble and gentle. And we have to come to him and learn all things from him. All things. Things relating to life, things relating to God, things relating to obedience, to submission, to humility. We come to him and we choose to let him teach us because he's humble and gentle. And that means that his yoke is going to be lined with love. It's not something heavy. A lot of times when they would put the oxen in that yoke and they would whip them and they would beat them into submission, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He said, I'm humble. I'm meek. I'm gentle. You can come. You can trust me and take my yoke because I am meek. And when he's talking about the yoke here, a lot of times that would refer to the law, right? And he wasn't even referring to the law of Moses here. He was really referring to Judaism because if you read on into chapter 12, he, he calls the Pharisees on the carpet for some of their traditions, So he's not even really talking about the law of Moses here when he's comparing the yokes. He's he's saying, you know, that yoke of those Pharisees, that's heavy because it doesn't even fit. That's man's traditions. That's not even God's traditions. He was was talking against some man-made rules here. He was talking against what the Pharisees demanded. So he says, let me come and teach you. This is where you're going to find rest for your souls. And this is where I take a deep breath every time I read this verse because I need some rest for my soul. (laughs) How about you? Anybody's brain get fried about noon every day because there's so much flying around in there? And I, I find it interesting that only in submission and obedience to his yoke will we truly find rest for our souls. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And a yoke is referring to your servitude, your obligation. And a burden is referring to a task or a service. So he's saying that my servitude, your obligations in my yoke are easy. And your service and your tasks are going to be light. Now let's note what he didn't say here. What he didn't say was, there isn't any more yoke. Did he? He didn't say there isn't any more yoke. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because this is coming from the one who has called himself meek and humble. And he is the only one who has ever called himself meek and humble. He's the only one who's ever referred to him that way. Whenever I think of Jesus, I think of power. I think of authority. I think of healing. I think of might and just displays of the power of the word of God being spoken and it coming to pass. I don't ever think of meek and humble. Do you? But that's what he calls himself. He's saying, you can trust my yoke. You can trust my burden because I'm meek, because I'm humble, because it's lined with love, because I have walked in your shoes, and I have lived where you're living, and I have won. 
And if you come along with me, then guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to win. And that's where true rest for the soul comes from. Because he, he was tempted in all points like we are. Tempted in all points like we are. So anytime that you get tempted with something, the first thing that can come to your mind is Jesus was tempted with this too. Because he was tempted in everything. And he won. And his yoke comes with the grace to stand up under it. Compassion flows better from someone who's been there. Doesn't it? Compassion just flows better from someone who's been there. I want to come under the yoke of someone who's walked in my shoes. I don't want to learn from someone who doesn't have any idea what's going on. Compassion flows better from someone who's been there. That's why when I was looking for an OBGYN after I got married, I picked a woman. I didn't pick a male gynecologist, obstetrician. I picked a woman. I wanted someone who had walked in my shoes. Because I thought I'd get a little more compassion from her than I would from some man. Because if it's not happening to a man, guess what? It's not really happening. They don't kind of feel, you know, not always touched with the feelings of our infirmities, are they, ladies? Can I hear an amen? Okay, we'll just move on from that one. But compassion flows easier and richer and fuller from somebody who understands. And that's what Jesus is saying here. My yoke is easy. My burden is light because I've walked in your shoes and I can teach you how to do it. It's easy and it's light because it's empowered by his grace. He's leading us from experience. We can trust him. His yoke has requirements. It doesn't come without requirements, but we're going to get into that. But his yoke brings rest. Everyone say rest. So I want to read this real quick in the message translation. And it says, starting in verse 28, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Walk, work, watch. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. And those words have been stirring around in my head for months. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Those walk, work, Watch, those are action words, right? And what are those called in grammar, ladies and gentlemen? Verbs. Now, how many of you equate action words with rest? Anybody? Any takers? Anybody ever equate a verb with rest other than maybe sleep? (laughs) I have never equated action with resting, but Jesus does. He says, I'm going to show you how to take a real rest. Walk, work, and watch. And this all comes under rest. And it's like I, I told Michael the other day, we're like, do you want to go for a walk today? 
Uh, I don't know, I'm kind of tired. Exercise doesn't take energy, it gives you energy. So let's go. <laughs> it sounds contradictory that getting up and actually moving is going to give you energy, but it does. So action verbs bring rest, and we're going to look at that tonight. True rest comes from a self-denial, take up your cross, take his yoke, obey his work, work like he worked, lifestyle. And now that doesn't sound very restful, does it? <laughs> but it is, and we're going to see. So we're going to look first at walk with me. Jesus said walk with me. So it's a relationship. And I heard someone the other day, and it almost made me super sad. She said, oh, I haven't read my Bible. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I haven't been to church. I haven't, you know, I haven't really been on top of it. Just, you know, like it was, um, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. It was just her little system. I'm out of routine, and I'm feeling funky. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is not what it's all about. It's about a relationship. And the morning we were talking about exercise, he actually had to leave for work early so he couldn't walk with me. And I went, oh, it's no fun to walk by yourself. I like walking with him because, you know, we talk and we gamble, and we catch up. Maybe say things that we wouldn't have normally said or get deeper into some things because you have nothing but time, right, when you're walking. So I said, it's no fun to walk alone, but, you know, I'm going to get my walk in. So out I went. And not two seconds after I hit that pavement did the Holy Spirit say in my heart, you're not alone. Ouch. <laughs> so I was literally walking with him. <laughs> but it's so easy to forget that he's always there. And this is part of rest, that we walk with him. It's a relationship. Have you ever said it? I feel so alone. Or am I the only one? Anyone else? And it's just kind of, Father, give us an awareness of your ever-abiding, ever-indwelling presence that's on the inside of us. Because we are never alone. Ever and that's good news. And there's a rest that comes with that. Because when we're aware of the indwelling presence of God, we're going to be aware of the indwelling grace of God. And we're going to be aware of the indwelling power of God. And it's going to change things. The disciples walked with him. And as I've read through the Gospels in the last couple months, you know, they walked with him. They went to weddings with him. And they walked everywhere. They went to weddings. They went to synagogue. They went to Mary and Martha's house. They went fishing. They went about teaching and preaching and healing. They walked with him everywhere. It was a 24-7 relationship. They asked Jesus questions. Jesus asked them questions, right? They shared their day. I like to think there was a little goofing around. I think they picked on poor Thomas. My guess is Thomas was gullible. 
right? And that they always were trying to pull the wool over his eyes. Because then at the end, when it says, you know, I won't believe it. Really, Jesus came back. Thomas, Jesus rose from the dead. You can trust us. I wonder why Thomas hesitated to trust them. Maybe they'd pull the wool over his eyes one too many times. But I like to think, you know, they were guys. Guys are guys, right? They went fishing, probably went hunting. If they were, you know, guys, they went hunting. <laughs> they asked him questions. Jesus read their minds, you know. Jesus knew everything they were thinking. Sometimes I wish, you know, that would come on the men, that whole spirit of reading the minds. No, it's not going to. But they walked with Jesus 24-7. It was not just a, oh, I got to get up and spend my 15 minutes in the morning and I got to read my word and I got to pray and I'm going to have my routine and then go off the rest of the day and forget that Jesus is even there. That's not what walking with him looks like. It's not just a routine. And we don't want to get so set in our routine that we forget it's a relationship. And it's just like a marriage. I, we don't walk every day. We don't get up and have deep conversations first thing in the morning every day. Sometimes we get up and hit the ground running and don't see each other until we fall asleep and don't even really communicate that day. But the next day we catch up, it's a relationship. And he's not up in heaven going, well, you didn't spend your 30 minutes in prayer today, so wha-bam, I'm going to send some bad your way. <laughs> and if you start to get these thoughts going around in your mind, when you get into maybe a day where you didn't spend your routine time with God, oh, this bad thing happened because I didn't pray this morning. Oh, I wasn't in the Word this morning. I'm all discombobulated. Are, do we have more faith in our routine, or do we have faith in the indwelling presence and power of God? We need to get out of the routine mentality, and I can fall into a system. I can make a system out of anything. I can turn anything into a system. In fact, I was walking one day and I thought, okay, this is working today. If I do this every morning at this time and do this and do that, then it'll just, you know. And the Lord goes, you are too systematic. You need to relax. <laughs> I was like, oh, I know I never told you that. <laughs> I was hiding that from him because now I'm accountable. But I can turn anything into a routine. But when we start to depend more on a routine, and have faith more in a routine than the indwelling power and presence of God? You think God's in heaven going, I wasn't there the first, you didn't acknowledge me as soon as you woke out of bed this morning. Lightning bolts for you today. No, it's a relationship. He's saying, come walk with me. It's a relationship. I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. John 15 if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're going to find rest for your soul. Amen? So we have walk with me, and then we have work with me. Everyone say work. work. All right. Now, sometimes we tend to think that the curse of work was from the fall, but it was not. <laughs> In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us that God put Adam in the garden to tend and work it. Walk with me, 
work with me. So we're going to talk about that dirty little word called work. Jesus said it, work with me. And uh, there's a whole camp system of thinking that thinks that we don't have to do a thing. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. You just rest in that finished work of Christ, sister, because Jesus did it all. And I agree that Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid the only price that could ever be paid. The blood of Jesus was the only thing that could buy my salvation. So Jesus paid it all, but guess what? He didn't do it all. There's still a work to be done. There's still commandments to be obeyed. There's still things that we have to do in our own life. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see over and over Jesus saying, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Work <laughs> work did not cease when Jesus died on the cross. There's a difference, though. We're going to look at this real quick. Just real quick. In Matthew chapter 3, because this is kind of a thing, too. When Jesus went and got baptized by John, everyone remember that? And John said, oh, no, Lord, I can't, I can't baptize you. I need you to baptize me. Why? Because John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Had Jesus ever sinned? No. So what he was doing there was identifying with us in that baptism, humbling himself. We're going to look at this later in the series. But he went to get baptized by John, and John baptized him. He comes up, and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and the, whole, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that people will debate. You know, he was well pleased in Jesus, and Jesus never did a thing. Really, Jesus never did anything. Wrong. Exactly. He hadn't stepped into his ministry yet. But Jesus, for 30 years, had lived a holy lifestyle, hadn't he? Lived every minute of every day in obedience to the word of God. Every minute of every day in obedience to the word of God. Why? Because it was a work? Because he was living, I love him. And so I keep his commands. Right? Everyone with me? Y'all shut down. Do we keep the law? Do we throw it away? You know what the law did? One of the purposes of the law was to reveal God to his people. His likes and his dislikes, what pleased him and what displeased him. And to show us that we needed a savior. But one of the purposes of the law was to reveal God to his people. That was the whole time in the wilderness. That's what that was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to take them 40 years to get to know their heavenly father. It wasn't supposed to take them 40 years to get to know Yahweh. But when he gave the law, it was so they would know what pleased him and what displeased him. Do we think under the new covenant that we need to know anything less? That we don't need to know what pleases and displeases him? There were all kinds of aspects to the law. There were ethical and moral things 
There were sanitation things. If you get mold on this, then, you know, do this and do that. And if, you know, there were medical things. If you have a mole and it's got a gray hair in it, do this. If you have a mole and it has a regular hair in it, do this. If you have a mole with no hair in it, it means this. If you have this skin condition, do this. It was all in the law. There were parts of the law that were just for the priests and the Levites. There were parts of the law that were about what you could and couldn't eat. And there were parts of the law that were just about the sacrifices. All different parts of the law which revealed how to please God. I now listen and listen close. (laughs) We're not coming back under the law. (laughs) Are you with me? There's a difference between earning your salvation and working from a place of grace, right? Jesus paid it all. We still need to know what pleases and displeases God. Paul said in the epistles to walk worthy of your calling, didn't he? Whose responsibility is that? Jesus do that for you? He enables it, right? Salvation enables us to walk worthy. I'm not walking worthy to earn salvation. I can only walk worthy because of salvation. Are you with me? Don't shut me down. You know, there are sin lists in the New Testament. Paul put them there on purpose. (laughs) Why? Because he wanted to give us a new yoke. Judaism is gone. Now the yoke of the apostles has come. No. The apostles, God through the apostles, were not trying to bring us into bondage to some do's and don'ts. Right? They were trying to help us walk free from sin and free from the consequences of sin. They were keeping before our eyes, this pleases God, this displeases God. Obedience to what pleases him, obedience to the word, obedience to those things that Jesus said were pleasing to the Father, true rest comes from there. You know who the most miserable, unrested, unpeaceful, agitated person in the whole world is? It's a Christian living in sin. It's a Christian that knows what pleases God and on purpose chooses to displease him. Why? Is there any rest there? No, they're not sleeping. They're not eating right. They're miserable. Are the sinless in there to bring us into bondage or to help us to walk free? There to help us to walk free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And who breathes the word through the Apostle Paul? The Holy Spirit. Because that's where true freedom is. And we tell our kids all the time, especially when we're talking to them about dating and purity. God's way was not meant to keep you from having fun. You might have to deny yourself for a season of physical pleasure while you live pure waiting for your spouse. But if you do it God's way, then you're going to have a fully satisfied life. 
So you can trade in a fully satisfied life for a moment of pleasure and sin, or you can do it God's way and live a fully satisfied life with no shame, with no guilt, with no regret. Is that bondage? No. Is it work? Much effort. It's an action verb. (laughs) Denying yourself is a huge, huge action word. It's a huge effort. But what did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll keep my commands. We're not working for salvation. We're working from it. True salvation produces good, changed, different works. True salvation will produce good works in your life. And I want to listen, I want you to listen to Acts chapter 26 real quick. The Apostle Paul was talking, I think, to King Agrippa. Let's find it. Acts 26. In verse 19, he says, And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven, the vision where God told him to go to the Gentiles. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all, and this is what he preached. This is what he told them, the Apostle Paul, the original minister of grace, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. It's that old argument in James. You try to show me your faith without works, you can't. I'll show you my faith by my works. Why? Because I'm trying to earn salvation? No, but there better be some evidence of salvation in your life. If the court was going to convict you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence? We're not working for salvation here. But our works are an evidence of the change on the inside of us. Are you with me? Are we okay? There's some things that look, well, let's just say it this way. You can't judge this in somebody else's life, right? You can't judge, oh, that's work, so they're trying to earn something, oh, they're trying, you can't, you you can't judge that in somebody else's life. It's an inside job. What's the difference? Motive. Let me give you an example. In 2009, I weighed a lot more than I do today. 60 pounds more, actually. And so, I wasn't happy about that, but I wasn't really trying to do anything to change it either. (laughs) And then in February of 2009, we were hitting some things, hitting up against some things, and I really needed to spend some time praying. And that was, what, seven, six years ago? How many years ago? Six years ago. 2009 was six years ago, right? And so my kids were younger then, a lot more needy then. I didn't have much alone time then. There was nowhere to be alone in my house. It's a small house. And so what I decided to do was to start walking. So I bundled up and I went for an hour long walk and it turned in and and it was specifically to have an hour of prayer time alone because it was 
10 degrees outside and there was no child that wanted to go outside with me and walk when it was 10 degrees. So there were, I was all alone, me and the Holy Spirit. So I turned it into an hour of prayer. Well, after about a month or month and a half of doing that, I started noticing, hey, you're losing weight. So then it shifted. So it wasn't just about an hour of praying and an hour of alone time with the Lord hitting these areas that I wanted to pray about. My motive shifted to, I got to lose weight. This is doing something and I got to lose weight. And then it was driven and it was miserable. And I felt like I was in bondage to it. I had no, you know, that attitude change, that motive change made it miserable. It wasn't something I looked forward to an hour alone with the Lord. It was a, oh, I have to do, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. It was bondage. However, if you looked out your window every day as I passed by and saw me walking, would you know why I was walking? Because you can't see my motive. And so let's, <laughs> yeah, 10 degrees outside. No normal person is outside walking. Whatever your motive is, you're a little cray-cray girl. <laughs> motive matters, and our motive makes a difference. Are there people that try to earn their salvation? Yes. And is it my heart to tell them, you don't have to do that? There's grace. By grace are you saved through faith. You could never earn his love. You could never earn salvation. But can I tell by looking at them what their motive is? No. So what is your part to do then if you see something that you're, you're thinking, mm, and you just want to go and correct and correct and correct? Maybe the very first thing to do would be to pray for them. But anyway, so there are some things that are not works, and I just want to hit them real quick. Prayer is not a work. Can be, if your motive's not right. Prayer and reading the word. We talked about that a little earlier. I had someone tell me one time, when I, I was teaching a little small group, I wanted to, to go in a direction of contending in prayer and pray with them about some things for our nation. And I had one girl tell me that we didn't have to contend anymore because Jesus did it all. And we just needed to rest in his finished work. I'm like, but Paul said, first of all, therefore I exhort you to pray for your nation. Zechariah said, ask ye of the Lord reign in the time of the latter reign. Oh, that's Old Testament. Really? Because it's prophesying about today. It might be sitting in the Old Testament, but it's speaking of our time. Because we're in the time where the early and the latter rain are about to be poured out together. And if we're not praying for it, you're not going to see it. We can hearken things. We can move things along in the Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. That puts pressure on everything that needs to happen for the second coming of Christ. Oh, all these things are going wrong in our world. All these things are going wrong. Ha <laughs> my Bible says that when darkness abounds, that grace much more abounds and the light is going to shine ever brighter. It doesn't say look down and be depressed. It says look up because he's a coming. Your redemption is drawing nigh. I was going to teach on prayer and I, maybe I should have. <sighs> okay, we'll come back. Oh, 
oh, but there's so much more. Okay, we need some prayer groups going on here. Okay, who's with me? Who wants to be in a prayer group? Anybody? Okay, I'll, t- I'll text you. Okay. <laughs> you know what else is not a work? Is repentance. Oh, you don't have to repent because past, present, future sins are all under the blood. So it doesn't matter what you do, you do not have to repent. That's very wrong. Again, do I think that if, I, if somebody commits a sin and doesn't confess it before they die, that they're going to go to hell? This isn't about going to hell. This is about walk with me. This is about walking in an intimate relationship with the Father. And I heard someone put it this way, heard a minister put it this way, and I thought, that is so good. And he related it to marriage. And he said, when I offend my wife, I apologize to her. Not because I don't want to get a divorce, but because I want to have intimacy. And there's not going to be any intimacy without repentance. It doesn't affect your your standing as far as being a child of God, but it does affect your intimacy. Are you with me? It's not a work. It's not a, oh, I have to do this or I'm going to go to hell. It's a father. I love you. And I want to walk close with you. And I've hurt your heart. And I'm sorry. And I'm turning from that thing. Repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry. Repentance is a turn away from the thing that offended. Right? Right living is not a work. It's not something that we do. We just talked about that. To earn salvation. If it's motivated by love, out of a heart to please the Father, then how can you go wrong with that? What we do matters. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. Are you with me? Watch how I do it. And this is where the series is going to start. Jesus is our example on so many things. And my heart is stirred with everything that I've been studying and seeing in the Gospels about our hero. Wow, he amazes me. I look at him completely amazed, and I can't wait to get into it. Verse 27 in the Message Bible, it says, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation, coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. But first we have to come to him. He said, keep company with me and you'll live freely and lightly. How do we rest? We walk with him. We work, right? There's rest in work. And we're going to watch how he does it. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you. (laughs) With my inadequate words, I delivered what you've put in my heart. And I just pray that Holy Spirit, as he goes home with every single person in this room, that he'll break it apart completely and perfectly to meet every need, to bring hope and healing and life to the hearer. 
that it'll minister grace for us to be able to walk up above that sin and those things that are are just entangled around our feet that we don't have to be in bondage to it, but your power lives in us to walk above it, and that's where true rest and peace is. Give us your grace and your strength this week to walk it out, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys are dismissed, and we'll see everyone Sunday at the anniversary service.